1: Hello? Why aren't you sleeping properly? Turn off CNN. What do you think you're going to learn refreshing the Nevada hashtag over the last four days? Nothing. Nothing. This, friends, is an election-free zone. Why? Uh, because I am powerless against the outcome anyway. And B, I just sort of feel like I'll figure it out. When the votes are in, I will be made aware. It's sort of like people who take a pregnancy test every single month. Don't do that. Just hang out. And then if a baby grows within you, eventually, you'll know. One of my favorite shows is those ladies who give birth in the toilet. What a life. Unaware. They just live their lives. They never have any medical problems. Because, I don't know, a blank mind is a, is a trouble-free, happy mind. Did we learn anything from Forrest Gump? He had a kind heart and a low IQ. And it served him well in life. And that's how I want to go out. What do you think I moved to Hertfordshire for? To be involved in the world? No. I'm over it. <sighs> what a time. What a time. I mean, who cares, really? Whoever it is, it's just going to be like a weekend at Bernie's shit show. Where a bunch of corporations just drag around a mound of flesh. And we think that person's in charge, and they're not. I just, I feel like not everything's black and white. And yeah, in my opinion, of course, there's one very, very, very bad person, and then one slightly uh, unhinged, creepy person, maybe. It's not great. I'll go back to what my friend said. It's a shot in the leg or a shot in the heart. Leg twenty I've learned that good people do bad things, and vice versa. A few years ago, my good friend of makeup artist Fiona and I got to travel the world doing a television show called How'd You Get So Rich. If you didn't watch How'd You Get So Rich, uh, it wasn't super well promoted. I think it was on at 10 p.m. It was part of the factual budget at Channel 4. I don't know if you know how television budgets go, but if it's factual, there's almost no money. And then if it's entertainment, there's more money. So it was a low budget uh, show where we followed rich people and I was the host Joan Rivers originally did this show in America, and we were very lucky to be able to do the format. It was so much fun to do, and the team was great. I got to meet a rich people from all walks of life, really. They were self-made, for the most part, and it was very inspiring. Back in 2015, when, let's face it, people were struggling financially, as they still are today, I found it to be a really uplifting show. All of these millionaires, with no exceptions, were the type of people who would clean a toilet, who would work nights, you know, do the night shift while they were at school. They were real self-starters, or a lot of them didn't even go to school, actually. Charlie Mullins, who now owns Pimlico Plumbers, I'm sure you've seen his vans driving around. He was an apprentice plumber when he was a child, which now... I don't think you can send your kids out with a random plumber in the village to learn the trade for two bob a day I don't even know what a bob is it's like less than a cent but that's what he would earn because he's a lot older than he looks he looks great and he learned how to be a plumber he loved the plumber that he worked for that guy always had fast women and fast cars (laughs) and he said yeah that's what I want to do and then he just grew the business I'm a very curious person. I want to learn from people even when we have differences, especially when we have differences. I have no interest in living in an echo chamber. I want to know about all kinds of people. And Charlie Mullins and I are very good friends. We do have some political differences. Sure, he's got pictures of a lot of my biggest enemies on his wall, but I admire and respect him. There were some millionaires on the show that I do not admire and respect, but I was able to be Very polite and curious for the duration of the filming. (laughs) Uh, One in particular, you'll figure it out if you watch. How'd you get so rich on all four? I'm sure all the episodes are still on there. I was a bit thinner and younger. It was a different time. My favorite millionaire is a former crime boss called Michael Franzese. He made more money for the mafia than anyone since Al Capone. You might take a look at me and think, Catherine Ryan, I'm going to peg her anti-mafia. And you'd be wrong. I love Michael Franzese. I love his family. He has all these kids who are dancers. He married a dancer. His daughters are gorgeous. His son is like his little protege. And I love them all. And I think they were about to have a Kardashian style reality show in Orange County. And then I think the family didn't want that kind of attention. I I forget why it didn't happen. But I'm still really keeping my fingers crossed. I don't think it's too late. What a wonderful man. Basically, he found God. Now he's a motivational speaker who owns a dance studio. And he and his family wrote this musical about the mob. And there's my main takeaway about the mafia. Mr. Franzese told me that while governments will, you know, bomb hospitals now and then and do bad things, mobsters only kill other mobsters. Apparently, according to him, they're very, very nice about women and children. And the deal is, if you're in the mafia... You know, I don't condone violence, but if you are in the mafia, then you know that you could be part of violence and you could be acting violently. And yes, he did some criminal things. I think it was a gasoline racketeering scam, but it's white collar crime. He didn't steal from anyone but the government. I don't know if you've noticed, but the government steals from you. And I believe in following the rules. I don't want people to die, obviously, but I asked him straight up, how many people did you kill? And well, he didn't tell me. But maybe it was none. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the family because there are all these details that I'm forgetting. I think his dad went to prison and didn't get released until he was over 100 years old. And his dad, also a crime boss, by the way, put a hit out on his own son. Michael, the man I met, also spent time in prison, but he didn't rat on anyone. And he somehow escaped the hit from his own father. And he's the only mobster to achieve, you know, paying the money back that he was supposed to, paying for his crimes, but also not squealing or, or not getting killed. And then his dad forgave him and he forgave his dad for putting a hit out of him. And now like they're best friends. And I think the dad, I'm going to check that he's still alive actually, because the dad's got to be like 150. Let me look up Michael Franzese because I know you're all going to be fans. Okay. He's an American former New York mobster and Kapoor-a-gimme? What's Kapooragimmy. Kapoor gamey? Oh, capo regime. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna keep that in just so you know how truly stupid I am. Capo regime of the Colombo crime family and son of former underboss John Franzese, he was enrolled in pre-med at Hofstra University but dropped out to make money for his family after his own father was sentenced to fifty years in prison for bank robbery in 1967. All right, so right here, what do you want from this man? He doesn't know any better. He's raised in the family business is being in the mob, and then when the patriarch goes to prison, what are you going to do? You're the son of the underboss. So naturally, whether it is a barbershop or a fruit shop or a mobster business, you take it over to support the rest of your family. You can understand he was just trying to go to medical school like a teen and then all this shit kicks off. So what else is he supposed to do? I mean, whatever your beliefs are, you have to have sympathy for that. He eventually helped implement a scheme to defraud the federal government out of gasoline taxes in the early 1980s. Not the worst thing you could do. By the age of 35, Fortune magazine listed Franzese as number 18 on the list of 50 most wealthy and powerful mafia bosses. How can a magazine just publish, oh, here's a very wealthy crime boss, and then that person not feel like, "Uh uh-oh, maybe the feds are going to catch on? You know, I'm on the cover of Fortune magazine for being a crime boss. Franzese claimed that at the height of his career, he was making $8 million a week. And then in 1986, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for conspiracy charges, released three years later. That's how prison works, by the way. Rearrested in 1991 for parole violation and then re-released three years after that. Oh gosh, so when he was young, Michael initially questioned his actual biological father. He believed he'd been adopted by John Franzese after his mother divorced Frank Grillo, who he thought was his actual father. Michael claims he'd gone by the name Michael Grillo until he was 18. However, it was later discovered that John Franzese, already married with three children, had gotten his 16-year-old mother, a cigarette girl at a stork club in Manhattan, pregnant with Michael. So the girl married Grillo to avoid having a scandal and having a child out of wedlock. And then after the mob allowed John to divorce his wife, Grillo disappeared and they got married? His mother was 16 when the crime boss got her pregnant and then they were like truly in love though, but they couldn't get married until he was divorced. Wow. This is what I mean when I talk about the stigma surrounding single mothers, like It is less of a scandal to be married to a crime boss who's about to be put away until he's over 100 years old than it is just to be a single 16-year-old who, I mean, in today's framework, that's assault, isn't it? It might not be illegal in every state, but it's not great. I cannot. I mean, I can believe. Of course I can. It's better to be like, oh, that married crime boss is my child's father than just to be a single mom. So you marry Frank Gillo. We've all been there. Also, this makes me have such further sympathy for Michael. He didn't tell me that in the interview. But of course, then when you're 18, you find out that you've been lied to your whole life. And this is your real dad. And as a young man in New York, you're going to have identity issues to overcome about that and you're going to have like oh I'm going to make him proud then so of course he goes to jail not long after that you drop out of med school and you go watch dad I'll pick this up. Franzese became acquainted with his father's friends such as Joseph Colombo and later became inducted as a made man on Halloween night in 1975. Franzese took the blood oath alongside friend Jimmy Angelino, Joseph Perreno Jr, Salvatore Mikiota. Vito Guzzo, Sr., and John Minerva, all of whom died violently over the next 20 years. Where is this film? So he originally did not want to be involved in organized crime, and then it just was the fate that he finds his real father, his father goes to jail, and then he gets caught up in all of this, and then loses his friends in violent circumstances. During the late 1970s, Franzese met with Gambino crime family boss John Gotti, was then a soldier okay so a soldier is like regular mobster not the boss angelo ruggiero was also present Franzese was contacted by a flea market owner who complained that his partner was using and selling drugs at the market in brooklyn Franzese agreed to frighten him and become the new partner i mean these are all honorable pursuits aren't they Franzese sent Colombo's soldier turned informant Anthony Saravola and another member who remains unidentified. Gotti, however, claimed that the scared-off partner was an associate of this. After several meetings, Franzese proposed to buy Gotti out. Gotti replied, buy me out? I'll buy you out and handed over 70 grand. Franzese later expressed admiration for Gotti, citing his strict gangster lifestyle and his overwhelming ego. By 1980, Franzese had become a capo regime of a crew of 300. So this is all obviously not great. The violence, not great. But sounds like they're trying to clear the city of drugs and they really only deal with each other. And I always just try to find a silver lining and I have a lot of sympathy for what this young man sort of had to become. Very classy about John Gotti as well. They sound like a nice bunch. Am I the mom of teenage boys who I think are just wanking and playing video games in my basement. But really, they're like, trafficking drugs. I'm like, do you boys need any more cheese wheels? Like I just, I just see the sweetness in people. I think I try to doesn't seem like I'm that kind of person. But I just think these are a bunch of sweet boys just out playing, playing at the market making deals. Oh, here's all about the gasoline. Franzese was contacted by Lawrence Salvatore Iorizzo. I would do so badly in New Jersey. Why can't I pronounce any Italian names? Who initially thought of a scheme to defraud the federal government out of gasoline taxes. I mean, gasoline from start to finish is a fucking fraud. Look at how it is stolen from the earth. Indigenous lands are disrespected because we still mine fossil fuels however we want. We just take it from the earth. Uh, There are rich, 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 rich countries who have all the gasoline and then it's inflated and deflated and exploited and moved around. Like, I think gasoline is more evil than racketeering gasoline. This Iorizo was being hassled by associates of another crime family and promised Franzese a percentage if he would defend and solve the issue. The pair set up 18 stock bearer companies based in Panama. Once authorities suspected one company of fraudulent activity, Franzese would move on to the next. Under law at the time in Panama, gasoline could be sold tax-free from one wholesale company to the next. Orizio, I don't know what to call this guy, I just don't know. I'm going to call him Lawrence, that is his first name. Lawrence, who later turned informant and testified against Franzese, craved power. This is why Franzese is a free man with a good family, because he does not be an informant no matter what. As a result of Lawrence slapping around Shelley Levine over $270,000 of debt, oh no, you can't hit Shelley, Franzese had to cut in Genovese family soldier Joseph Galizia into his operation because Franzese does not want you hitting women. He partnered with the Russian mafia in the gas scheme. The family would collect the state and federal taxes but keep the money instead. At the same time, they were often selling the gas at lower prices than legitimate gas stations. In 1985, he was acquitted of the racketeering charges. Oh, he was acquitted. He was one of nine people indicted on 14 counts of racketeering, counterfeiting, and extortion from the gasoline bootlegging racket. And on March 21st, 1986, pled guilty to one count of racketeering conspiracy and one count of tax conspiracy. He was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison in order to pay $14 million in restitution, agreeing to sell his mansion in New York and use the proceeds from a film he produced, Knights of the City. Ooh, 1986 film, Knights of the City. And then he'd met his future wife by then, shooting a film. And he just, you know, he went to prison and he said, I'm going to pay my debts and then I want to have a nice life. Franzese became a born-again Christian after he was given a Bible by a prison guard. He was released in 1994, retiring from the mob in 1995 by moving to California with his wife and children. The relocation was also a result of receiving multiple death threats and contracts on his life, including one approved by his own father, who died this year. Oh, no. I mean, what a year to go, though. That man spent how long in jail and then he got out right before the pandemic, February 2020, and he went, fuck this. John Franzese's career in organized crime began in the 1930s and spanned over eight decades. He served as underboss of the Colombo family from 1963 until he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. He was paroled in 1978, but was re at least six times on violations throughout the decades that followed. He became Colombo family underboss again until he was convicted of extortion in 2011 and was sentenced to eight years in prison. His son testified against him, becoming the first son of a New York mobster to turn state's evidence and testify against his father. At the time of John's release, oh, he was released at age 100, June 23, 2017. So he was released two years after I met Michael Franzese, and they were planning this big 100-year birthday party for him. So the father and son did away their differences. John was the oldest federal inmate in the United States and the only centenarian in federal custody. He died in a New York City hospital on February 24th, 2020, at the age of 103. So I think it's a beautiful story with... Ups and downs and twists and turns and evil and mistakes and law-breaking, obviously. But I mean, the takeaway is I'm not suggesting that any of you should turn to a life of crime. I wouldn't be able to be involved in a gasoline racketeering scheme. You wouldn't be able to involved because you're in danger every day and you probably can't sleep. It's not a life for everyone. Imagine the adrenaline and the cortisol would just... I mean, most of us are not going to do that and live to be 103. But that's my mafia friend. And I have to say, he's not perfect, but I love him a lot.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started emails now
1: if you want to email me the address is telling everybody everything at gmail.com do not email me something close to that address and think that it's going to go to the same place not how email works This one jumps out to me right away. Catherine, I shagged my housemate and it gets worse. Oh no. Catherine, I'm writing to tell you that I've truly fucked up. I recently started university on the other side of the country. I'm in my early 20s and I'm a mature student. So I decided to live in a shared house rather than halls. Oh yeah, early 20s is mature student now. Ugh, don't you go to uni when you're like 17? That is too young. That is too young for uni. Take a gap year. I mean, I hope you're taking gap years this year. This is a shit year to be a freshman. I ended up breaking up with my long term boyfriend pretty soon after moving out, mostly because I'd been in relationships all of my life and I was struggling to define my sense of self outside being a girlfriend. I moved in with these two guys who were nice enough one in his mid 20s and another who's almost 30. One night, we got incredibly drunk and I woke up to realize I had shagged the almost 30 year old. We have since had oral and full sex three times whilst drunk. Thank you for that important detail. I've previously always lived by the mentality, don't shit where you eat. And I was worried it would make things awkward, but it hasn't really, because we both seem to be in complete denial that anything has happened when we're sober. There's nothing romantic occurring at all between us. We would barely be considered friends if we weren't living together in lockdown. So what's the problem? The horrible part is, uh oh, he has a girlfriend. Oh no, of four years. This is not something I've ever done and the guilt is killing me. I don't know why I keep sleeping with this man. He's not attractive to me at all in the slightest and he's not even nice to me. I've been cheated on in the past and I'm disgusted at myself that I could do this to another person. I genuinely don't know what to do at this point. I can't tell my friends that this keeps happening because they would quite rightly judge me. I don't think I can tell the girlfriend as I don't know more than her first name. And even if I did find her, I still have to live with this guy until July. I've stopped getting drunk. And really, I think and hope I'll never sleep with him again, but it won't erase what I've already done. Any advice would be amazing. Okay, so first of all, you can absolutely erase what's already been done. Nobody knows about it. It was a bad dream. The only place that this exists is in your mind and potentially in your autoimmune antibodies if you have chlamydia. So I would get a test and just, just throw a grenade into this situation now and don't tell anyone and don't ever do it again and just convince yourself that it was a dream. Okay. And this is coming from someone who once got off with a taxi driver because I didn't have $7. I didn't have to tell everyone about that just now, but I chose to do that for you. But you know what? Whatever it did it happen. Did it not? I don't really remember it that well, kind of like a slideshow. Who got taken advantage of? No one believes me anyway. I do tell my friends from time to time and they think I'm lying and they call it the turban legend. I mean, I'm offended by that from all angles, but this didn't happen. Basically, don't do it again. We all get drunk. We all go to uni. You're alone in a different place. This girl, no, you don't ideally want to be sleeping with someone's boyfriend, but she is not your responsibility. I like your instinct. Normally I do believe in women watching out for other women and telling the girl, but this just sounds like it's one of those things. You're going to have to weigh it up and it'll cause more problems for you right now. It's not like he's developing a romantic relationship with you. It could just be that mistake that you forget. I've heard of cheating stories where mostly from older married people, they'll say, oh yeah, so-and-so is cheating on his wife," and. And then they worked through it. And it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And he cherishes her now. And it was a mistake. Like, I don't know, in a modern relationship, mistakes like this can be healed. Make sure you don't do it again. Make sure because it doesn't make you feel good. It's not even about the cheating. It makes you feel bad. So don't do it again. Might be worth saying to him that you have guilt about his girlfriend, and you're definitely not going to do it again. And that he should really have a chat with himself about whether she needs to be informed about what he's been doing and maybe that'll just scare him straight a little bit but no at this juncture forget it ever happened your friends won't judge you the way you think i bet cuz you know we all make mistakes I, what kind of friends have you got i'm sorry i can tell my friends every shitty thing that i've done you need people to talk to in your life but look we all have the little skeletons in the closet if you feel like you can't share it with them fine convince yourself it was a dream, move onwards and upwards, and you'd be okay. The next email, how do I stop my friend dating a toxic loser? Maybe these emails are connected. Catherine, I wanted to get your perspective on how to help my friend. She's 25 and has been dating this absolute loser who's 39 for the past three years. He's her boss. And he has a girlfriend of 10 years? During their relationship, quote unquote, they've broken up several times with him blaming her for all their issues. He refuses to take any responsibility. She recently proposed seeking counseling, which he outright refused as he accused her of forcing him to deal with his feelings. He has never expressed that they will have a future together, and he's recently bought a house with his current girlfriend. It's very clear to everyone that this is a toxic relationship that will never work. My best friend and I have both actively expressed our opinions about the situation for the past year. Our friend acknowledges what is said, but she'll make excuses and say, I'll give him one more month. It's gotten to the point where I cannot talk about their relationship as I find it so frustrating. She has become a shell of a person I knew. What can I do to encourage her out of this damaging relationship? What should I do to preserve our relationship? Holy shit. Imagine being the mistress trying to get your man to come to therapy with you like that alone is a red flag like oh man the guy in a relationship whom i'm the mistress of won't come to counseling with me well no he won't he's busy taking his legitimate wife to bed bath and beyond this saturday oh she needs to be in counseling her fucking self first and foremost Uh, she needs to figure out what her boundaries are what her goals were for a relationship in life before she started being intoxicated by this Boss, because I'm sure that this is not the life that she mapped out for herself. Look at the life that you aspired to versus the life that you're living now. It's not going to change. So many women and men date based on potential. They go, Oh, well, he has the potential. He could be this. And if, you know, I don't hang in there, he's just going to be this for someone else and I will have missed the boat. Never date potential. What is Here and now, that's what you're dating and that's what will always be. I think if it were my friend, I would say, all right, you've had your fun. If you truly want this life of being a side chick, then you need to get on payformyimplants.com or sugardaddies.com and live in honest truth find married men who want to actually spoil you and be good to you and date you casually if that's what you want get it all out on the table and you can do a lot better than him in that arena sounds like there's a power structure issue with him being her boss you know maybe she secretly gets off on being the mistress and she has no plans on being legitimized another thing i might say to my friend is think about who you are missing because you are blocked from meeting them by this anchor of a man who's holding their place. You know, the perfect person for her, or I mean, not even the perfect person, but just a better suited mate, is never going to walk into her life with this mess of a situation going on. She probably sweats low self-esteem and gives off this air of being taken advantage of and being discarded because that's the way she's living. You are never, ever, ever, going to attract the right person in your life while that is going on you need to be clear not in a Scientology sense you just need to be easy breezy free on your own exuding a good aura and a positive energy and then that's the only way the only way that wonderful things will be attracted into your life I was drunk in a restaurant and I felt like I was friends with Courtney Kardashian so I went up to her and I had started chatting and I said, oh my gosh, you, you really need to leave Scott. Now, this is a few years ago when she was still dating Scott Dizick and I did not approve. I was totally not uh, within my rights to say this to her. I stepped over the line, but I felt from watching the reality show, this sense of friendship. And I'm sorry, Kourtney Kardashian, but I did cross the line. I said, leave Scott. And she said, this beautiful, beautiful, successful millionaire said, oh yeah, but like who else is there? Who else? Well, no one right now. You can't see them because there's this eclipse of Scott's fat head in the way. That's what I said. And she said, well, he's at my house right now. I said, burn your house down, Courtney. And look what happened. They ended up splitting anyway, and they will always have a connection because of the kids. But she couldn't even see how amazing she was because Scott was in the way. Who else is there? There's the world out there, Courtney. And there's you. And there's just a better standard than how you're living. So speak to your friend like that, because she is selling herself short. Here's an email, not about men. Hi, Catherine. I recently moved back home with my mother and older sister after years of being by myself. After a few days, I clearly remember why I left. Home is a place where I've been judged for my choice in music, style, and thoughts. It's a place where I cannot be myself. I want to leave, but right now it's very hard. Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Yes, we are just animals and there's a reason why animals get pushed out of the nest at a certain age. There's a certain time in your life when you just can't live with your mother. doesn't mean that you are a bad person or your mother's a bad person or you're not the right match, but I know in some cultures people live at home for a long time. It does not work for everyone. Financially, families are in situations where they have to share a house for a long time. I understand that. But if there's anything that you can do to find a small, small, small space that is just your own, or maybe find some flatmates, you have to do that. You have to do it as soon as you can, because ultimately living in quarters that don't work, that's too close, like challenges the relationship with your mother and sister. You want to preserve that family relationship and you do it sometimes with distance. This next one is a bit long. I'm going to try to cut to the chase. Catherine, I was seeing a guy for about a year. Over the course of our relationship, I'd achieved many things. On the flip side, he was the TLC definition of a scrub. I would drive him everywhere, pay for everything, carry his shit around in my bag. I even had to arrange my own birthday dinner, drive us there, and pay for both our meals because he was broke. One time, he even missed his train. We were meant to be meeting my friends for a summer barbecue, so I drove all the way to Scotland to get him. What a mug I was. Eventually, I sat him down and told him I wanted to split up. He wanted me to wait until he was back at uni after the summer to break up with him because he thought it was just the distance talking. I love when they do that, when you're like, it's done. And they're like, just give me three months. Like, it's not a great time for us to be there. There'll be a better time. Like, you know, just a few days, just a, about a year from now five years down the line, I'll be ready to break up. No, now means now. I ended up having to break up with him three times. He pled with me. This went on for months and months until I met someone new in a bar who we will call Dermot. This new relationship started about six months after the first time I broke up with my ex. I was made aware through mutual friends that my ex still spoke of me and was quite upset with the breakup. Of Course he was. Over the next year, I heard various things that he'd been saying to people in group chats, ranging from the rather benign, such as he's a better vegan than me, all the way up, whoa, that is shots fired for millennials, by the way. All the way up to fabrications that I had abused him, something I believe he said, knowing I was abused as a child, so it would be hurtful if it got back to me. He even reached out to my sister, who was vulnerable, and tell her that I abused him, manipulated, and was all around vile to him. We'd been broken up for longer than we were a couple. This is key. Dermot and I have just had our two-year anniversary together, but the ex is still talking about me and I keep getting word of things he has said. Just last week, he was telling people I ruined his life. He's targeted some of his attacks on Dermot, too, but it's always almost about me. I know he likes lying. I've seen many comments he's made online claiming to be missing fingers or stupid shit like that, so I don't expect this to go anywhere, but it is frustrating. I'm moving on with my life, and it's been over four years since I met him, but he won't let it go. What do I do? I tried telling him to stop myself, but he said I was gaslighting him and then he blocked me. Please help. He's telling people I'm an abuser. This is really tricky. And I know that when there are serious allegations like abuse, it's very difficult just to ignore it. But I honestly believe having gone through this myself, that that's what you have to do. The more well-known I get, let's say, the more that I achieve... I still have sort of little panics about a relationship where even in that relationship, anything I did that was successful, I would get punished for it in the relationship. And I know now that there are people in my past that if I do something successful, they are going to talk about me because they're total losers and they have nothing else going on. I'm saying they is basically one person. But I mean, this person talks about me and they talk about me publicly sometimes and they They just say, this person like wrote an open letter to my daughter once, who he barely knew, and I just have to let it roll off me like water rolls off a duck's back. I have to just trust that this person lives their life in a way that people will see who they are. So every lie that they want to tell and every time that they want to malign me, I just have to let them because do you know what is great press is good people that you admire saying good things about you. And you know what is even better press is some lunatic that no one respects saying bad things about you. And I don't mean press like in my sense of the word. I mean like in your friendship circles and in your reputation, it's great. And the more that you tell your friends, do you know what? This does not concern me. Don't tell me anymore. Then they do stop telling you. It's not Something that you need to reach out to your ex about. You should not be contacting this toxic person at all. Imagine how delighted he was when you reached out and asked him to stop. That was the best day of his fucking life. Never reach out to that person. There's nothing my ex person could say that would ever make me contact him again for any reason. And people will see him for who he truly is. Don't worry about that. You've been split up for longer than you were ever together. Likewise, this person is still talking about you. You have to trust that no one believes them. Really just leave it. Definitely don't reach out to this person. That is what he wants. I'm glad he blocked you. You should block him on anything left that you have to communicate. Every time you hear some rumor, just leave it alone and know that when he opens his mouth to speak badly about you, it is only enhancing your reputation. You don't want someone like that saying nice things about you. That person's nuts. You have to step away from it and you leave it. It will be the best thing you ever did. You don't have to defend yourself. You just have to live a life of honesty and goodness and trust that people will see you for who you are. Don't let this prick live in your mind and in your relationship with Dermot rent free. Stop thinking about him and he will metaphorically die. People always say easier said than done, Catherine. No, it isn't. It's very easily fucking done. I've said it. Do it. Anytime anyone brings him up, say, that's none of my business. Thanks. Done. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you're okay this week. What a weird and wild time back in lockdown, but I will be here every week and I love hearing from you. So if you'd like to email me, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Bye.